Welcome to the Trust Corner. Smartphones and other smart devices have allowed us to access information anywhere and at any time. However, there has been a rise in concern about the authenticity and accuracy of the content we consume. Edelman's 2022 Trust Barometer stated that concerns about fake news or false information being used as a weapon is at an all-time high of 76%. With rising threats like deep fakes, how can content generating platforms and organizations foster trust in their users? Our guest today is Dana Rao, Executive Vice President, General Counsel, and Chief Trust Officer at Adobe. As Executive Vice President, General Counsel, and Chief Trust Officer, he oversees legal and policy team as well as Adobe's security team, and he is charged with driving a unified strategy that leverages technology, law, and policy to strengthen Adobe's products, services, and reputation as a company that employees and customers around the world can trust. Welcome to the Trust Corner, Dana. Thank you very much, Elena. Excited to be here. It's always exciting for us, too, to have another chief trust officer as a guest on our podcast, especially one with your kind of experience and expertise. Tell us a little bit more about your background. What led you to your current role and how does your experience help inform your work as the chief trust officer? Yeah, thanks. And and um, really, again, thanks for having me on. I, I think it's it's a I really look at the chief trust officer position as a sort of perfect amalgamation of the experiences I've had. Um, so I started off as electrical engineer undergrad. I was a, that was my major and um, I was slightly better at English and math, but my father was the chairman of electrical engineering at the Villanova University, which is where I was going. And he told me to go into electrical engineering because he thought I could get a job afterwards. So I did. And I spent a year working as an RF engineer, GE Astrospace. And so I really feel like uh, at GE. So I really felt like you know, I got the sense of what it was like to be an engineer and solve technical problems and be on a team and, and then, uh, but quickly realized that that uh, after a very short period of time, <laughs> maybe that wasn't my career. Um, and uh, I left and ended up actually getting into public policy. Um, so I, I worked on the Clinton Gore campaign in 1992. I worked, uh, I was the deputy director for women's issues for the state of California. So I worked on public policy issues and which were very interesting to me, but it's the first time in my career I'd done that. And they ended up going to the Department of Justice, um, not as a lawyer, but as a political appointee working on Native American issues and trying to help the um, tribes with all the issues that they have in conflict with the states, like water rights and land rights and all the things that are important to them. And I really learned the importance of the impact that public policy can have on people, right? And so we had a a crime bill we were Bill Clinton was trying to pass that year. My entire job was to get the three words and Indian tribes added to this legislation. Whenever there was something about funding, like one of the uh, the, the the that bill actually established the Violence Against Women Act, um, which has been a really really important uh, tool in fighting domestic violence in this country since it was passed thirty years ago. And uh, in the original version, it, it wasn't going to have tribes covered in it, right? So they weren't going to get funding. And so the whole goal was like, I spent an entire year trying to get these three words added. It was probably the hardest I've ever worked in my entire life. Um, but when, after you spent that year and those that did get added, you realize, wow, the impact, right? Of just getting that into legislation and the money that got poured into the tribes to help establish those uh, shelters and and funding for, for uh, legal representation. Uh, 
was great, right? And you can see the impact of public policy. And to me, that was really important. Um, then I did become a lawyer <laughs> eventually. And uh, and I, I uh, worked at a law firm. Um, I worked at Microsoft for 11 years. Uh, I was working in IP, obviously, with my technical background. Um, and then, then Adobe, I came here um, 11 years ago, almost 11 years ago. And I started off as the head of IP and litigation. So really got a great chance there to manage risk and think about risk in an important way. What is What are companies, what are they worried about? When do you take things to trial? When don't you take things to trial? What issues tend to escalate into actual conflicts? Um, and uh, what things can actually get, get resolved? And so it was really good education for me on risk. Um, and then I became general counsel in 2018, which was great. Just regular old general counsel, no chief trust officer, and uh, and managed the legal and the policy side. And that was great. And I got a real chance to understand privacy and um, the compliance and all the, the parts that legal does to drive the business forward. And then last year, um, my CEO gave us security. And so he moved security over our CTO actually retired. And so he decided not to fill that position. So he moved security over to legal. So we had a legal security and policy org starting last year. And so I had this question. I'm like, well, what, what's the unifying mission of this org? Like, what are who are we? And what are we trying to do together? What is that thing that's going to bring um, at that point, uh, you know, around 600 people together on this common mission? And I was talking to our our uh, one of our presidents um, who manages our digital experience business, the digital marketing business, um, and he talks to the enterprise customers all the time. And his advice to me was like, you should think about trust as your mission. He's like, because when I go talk to enterprise customers, he's like, that's one of the things they always ask us about is trust and and the, and the need to rely on Adobe to provide sort of world-class services on IT and data and privacy and compliance. And he's like, make yourself chief trust officer. And I thought, all right, I'll go ask my CEO. And he's like, I don't care what you call yourself. So, uh, so I uh, became chief trust officer uh, just last year, right? And uh, and so that's that's sort of how that 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 started. But I, what I love about the role is that it brings together the engineering side, right? When I started off at GE and the electrical engineering piece, because I could understand the technology and the systems and the processes. It brings in the legal side, of course, with privacy and and uh, and compliance and all the other contracts and everything that we do. And it brings together the public policy side, right? Because a lot of what I do is trying to influence governments to, to pass laws and regulations that are, make sense for Adobe and businesses as a whole. And so bringing those three together under the mantle of trust sort of is this really cool way for me to leverage all the experiences I've had. Thank you, Dana. You have really seen multiple facets of trust, you know, policy, legal, compliance, privacy, but also technical dimensions and the impact they can really have. As you know, trust as a business category is fairly new. And in our experience, SAP Chief Trust Office was founded three years ago with the goal of providing customers with the resources they need to understand how their critical data and workflows are protected and processed. And it's always interesting for us to hear how different organizations reach their decision of creating a trust organizations. Uh, so thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. We also want to learn what the priorities are for each business with a trust organization or with a trust mandate. Uh, what are some of the ways in which Adobe builds trust with your customers? And what would you say your current priorities are? We think about it both um, together and then we think about them separately. So together, I think that what we need to do, and again, as you mentioned, it's a recent 
um, sort of for us a year, you've been in it for three years. So absolutely would love to learn from you. But I think one of the things that we need to help our customers understand is the value that they're placing on trust, probably without even realizing it, right? When they're thinking about who they're doing business with, what are the things that are actually motivating them um, to buy? And, you know, we've been in this business for 40, or Adobe's a 40 year old company, right? So, and we have both individual consumers, right? People just buy Photoshop and then we have enterprise customers, right? So we have all the whole spectrum of kinds of people who are trusting us, right? With, with, with their data. And what we, what we we realize is that they're not just looking for you know the thousands feature right that's not the buying decision for them like the first 900 features in photoshop are good enough for them um or in our digital marketing solutions or web analytics right um so that's already good like they know the product right and they understand the value but when they're choosing between adobe and somebody else one of the reasons are saying I I want Adobe versus a point competitor or another company that maybe has had reputational issues is because they feel like they can trust us to take care of their data, right? And that piece to us has been missing um, in our talk track. And so one of the things when I think when I when you ask me what our priorities are, it's trying to it's almost sales enablement. It's helping the sales team understand like this is a thing that is helping you win in the marketplace when you go out and talk to enterprise customers. We should be saying it. And then it's giving them the the, the data to explain it, right? Like what are we doing on trust? Like what are the actual things we're doing on trust? So I think that first step for me is that unifying mission that we can kind of enable our sales team and our and our brand team um, to, to go out because on the consumer side, right? It's just as important to us. They're providing personal data, uses data, et cetera. And they wanna know that when they work with Adobe that we're taking care of it, right? Just as a consumer. So that even on the website, you want it to be something that people see and understand that they're we're doing all the right things. So I think you have the two different vehicles, sales enablement for enterprise customers. And then this website, which is where all the consumers are going to, to understand whether or not they should buy from us and what are we doing on GDPR? What are we doing on all these things? They want to know and they want to feel good about it. So I think the messaging is really an important piece to me as I think about like the role. And then in terms of the technical priorities, when I look across the org, when I think about security, um, we're doing all kinds of great things in security right now and then trying to build, continue to build this world-class security function. You know, we, we really are placing emphasis on you know what we whatever it refers to but we refer to as well as shift left which is how are we doing at um detecting vulnerabilities as engineers code and so currently the main way we would address vulnerabilities is we'd ship a product we'd find out there's a vulnerability right as you know and then there's a patch we would issue and then we fix the product and this is a long process and by the time you do that you know the vulnerabilities have been out there in the open exposed to attackers so the whole shift left idea is, you know, you get all these known vulnerabilities and you have an automated tool. And as someone is coding and you're realizing they're creating the thing that could cause that vulnerability, you force them to stop right there during the coding creation process and fix it. So the idea is shift this thing as left as possible so it never comes out 
to the customer um, in the first place. So no one ever, she ever gets exposed to this vulnerability and fixed it before it ever got released. So that's the dream sort of where you want to get to is stopping problems, known problems, right? There's always going to be problems, but stopping the known problems before they even create the vulnerabilities that your customers are very worried about. So for security, for me, is like, that's a priority. It's like how far up the chain can we drive that um, vulnerability detection or remediation process? That's critical for us. Um, privacy, um, as you may know, right? It's just how, what's the most efficient way to comply with the patchwork laws that are out there, right? And so we have a, we have a thing we call that content control, common control framework. And what that does is, it allows us both for security and privacy to abstract out like what we think are the common principles of these laws and just say, if we if we comply with these abstract concepts, we're going to comply with like 85% of the law. And then we can just add on the separate modules that make us compliant with GDPR or the new CPRA or whatever the new law is. So really trying to make the um, additional um, new legislative uh, regulation or burden in some cases that are created by like a law in Virginia, a law in Maryland, wherever, make those as discreet as possible to make it easier for us to comply with, with as little engineering uplift as possible. So really helping the privacy team be nimbler, right? Like how do they build that technology into Adobe um, so that we can be compliant on day one without doing a whole new effort every single time a law is passed. So that's really been the focus on the privacy side uh, of the equation. Mm -hmm. And those are fantastic ways to build trust with customers, of course, and some really tangible ways that you can then attribute to the overall success of the organization and really measure that. And I can share with you that in our mandate, we also have sales enablement, including pre-sales, deal support as part of our ma mandate, as well as the security awareness. And I should mention you oversee Adobe's security team as well. So thank you for sharing your view on how to optimize and prioritize remediation of vulnerabilities and some of the privacy and compliance matters. And of course, if we speak about security, there are other threats on the horizon, such as the deep fakes and misinformation. So Adobe is a leader in content creating software, and you also have platforms that host content such as Adobe Stock um, or Behance. So what does trust mean in the world of content? Yeah, it's an interesting area for us. So as everyone knows, obviously we we as you, we build Photoshop, right? So Photoshop is the world's greatest uh, media image editing software program, right? So it creates all the images, all the digital images you see. And then a few years ago, when we were thinking about like the world of AI and how that's going to impact Photoshop, and we're using it in Photoshop right now, we understood that the um, images you're going to be able to create are going to be indistinguishable from the real things that you were taking, right? The, the, the edits are getting so sophisticated that you're not going to be able to tell the fiction from reality anymore on, from a digital perspective. So we asked ourselves, like, what are the implications of that? And this is another key piece of how we think about trust at Adobe. So we we talk about privacy and we talk about security and talk about compliance, right? Those are the sort of the, the, the classic trust pillars. But we also find that in this world that we're in now, customers are expecting you to do more than just meet the bottom thresholds of the, the, the table stakes um, of trust. And they want to know that you're also doing the right thing. Right, that you're you're doing what you can to address problems that may be uh, implicated by the technology you're creating, and so for us, this was an opportunity for us to say, well, look, how do we help society address the problems that are being caused by deepfakes? 
that's important to Adobe. It's our culture, who we are, or taking responsibility for innovation. And it's also something I think about as part of trust, right? So people like consumers today and enterprise who are who are who are populated by people, right? You talk about businesses, but they're just people. And they're they want to know that they want to do business people are doing the right thing, right? So what we said was when we looked at deep fakes, we said, well, the first thing we realized is AI is never gonna solve the problem that AI created. So the idea of question, there's always been a question of, can you just get AI to tell you if something's a deep fake or not? And the answer is no, because the, the creation tools and we would know better than anyone are always gonna be innovating and evolving and getting better, just, just like security, right? The people creating the viruses are just as good as the people creating the detection systems, right? So there's always gonna be an arms race. So that didn't seem to be the right way. And we also thought about going forward in the future, right? We have two problems when deep fakes are created, right? You have this problem of people are getting deceived, right? And then the second problem, which you're just starting to see happen now, is people realize they can't believe anything they're seeing and then they stop believing the truth because they know they can't believe anything. When that second thing happens, we're all in trouble because we all need facts in order to decide things. And all of our facts that we're consuming today are digital facts, right? You're not, there are no analog facts anymore, right? These are all digital facts you're consuming. And if you don't believe that any of those things are true, because they could all have been manipulated and you have no way to tell, then what if your government is telling you something is happening? What if there's a forest fire? What if there's a thing, all these images, or what if there's just social policy you need to understand? Is climate change real or not, right? Who knows if you don't believe any of the data that's coming out? So what we said was we want to enable authentic storytelling, right? Authentic um, stories to be told. So if you want something to be believed, how can you prove that what you're saying is true? That's the angle we took. And that's what with the Content Authenticity Initiative, which we founded three years ago, does. And so when we started, it was just us and the New York Times. And at the time, it was Twitter. And now we're over 900 companies who've joined us in just three years, try, aligning on this mission of saying, how do we help people say what is true? And so we started with Photoshop. So the first thing you can do in Photoshop, if you choose to do this, is add content credentials to the image you're creating. And that just tracks what you do to this image and it stores as metadata in the file. So then when it goes to the New York Times or we have hundreds of media companies who are partners, Wall Street Journal, whoever, um, they can say, oh, I know what happened to this image because all the edits to it are, are saved, right? And so if you, the consumer, want to say, was that real or not, you know, is that Elena really in front of this background or is that a Photoshop? You'll be able to look at the image and see what happened. Know that there was a face swap. So that probably really wasn't Elena, right? Um, and so, you know, and you decide for yourself whether or not to believe what, um, what you're seeing. And so the reason we have 900 companies in climbing is that you need that established trust, right? Again, this is a trust issue from the time of capture all the way to distri distribution. So we're excited, like just last week, Canon joined the Content Authenticity Initiative. And so you kind of want, you need to have it start at the camera, right? You need, so Nikon's a member. And so you need to start at the camera. The photojournalist is taking a picture. They need to have CAI built right into the camera. So at the time of taking it, you're capturing the metadata, right? With this day, this place, this time, and this is what it looked like. Then it goes to Photoshop. You make some more edits, whatever edits, those also get captured. It also captures your identity if you if you opt in for that. And then it goes to the, the BBC, which you know also a member. And when they publish it on the BBC news site, you can you the consumer say you see a little symbol, you click on it, you say, Oh, this is what happened. I know from the time it began to the time I got to see it, I can trust that chain of custody. And I, I can believe it or not. It's up to you. Like we're not actually telling people what's true. 
We're not telling people what is false. We don't think tech companies should be the arbiters of truth. We don't think governments should be the arbiters of truth. We think we should arm the public with the information they need, and they should decide for themselves whether or not to believe it. I think that's the only system that scales, the only system that actually works in society where nobody believes anything. No one believes tech companies, no one believes governments, no one believes anybody. So let's just get all those people out of the business of trying to tell, tell you what is true and what isn't true. And you, you, we just give you the facts, you decide for yourself. Fantastic. Thank you, Dana. And as you explained, Adobe does find itself at the intersection of technology and content creation. So thank you very much for sharing your perspective on that. Um, this next question is more about business in general. What kind of companies or what kind of industries should consider creating a trust office? I mean, I think everyone needs to think about, um, and this is with my uh, executive hat, my general counsel hat, I have a lot of hats. Um, this is more of my, I'm a member of the executive team hat. And so everyone needs to make sure they're solving a problem. Whenever someone asks me, should I do a thing? I'm like, what problem are you solving? Who are you helping? So if someone like SAP and for Adobe, I think the problem is clear, right? What the problem is we're solving, why this is important, why security is important, why privacy is important, why this more messaging is important, why elevating the message to the level of a trust message is critical for our customers and a business value for SAP and Adobe, because we want to obviously grow and drive revenue. And one of the ways we can do that is establishing trust, right? As a, as a key business imperative. So I, it's not that hard for me to go to my CEO and say, trust is helping us win in the marketplace. Like I'm going to get data and KPIs at some point to prove that what I'm saying is true, but it, it notionally makes sense to him. Right. It's easy to explain. So for any company where that makes sense, you should establish a trust office, right? Because you're not going to get there without it. If you just have the disparate functions, you're never going to get anyone to think about how to elevate that message, how to drive that message, maybe even prioritize investment in the right way to drive that message home. Right. So I think that's really important. But um, but you do need to think, I think, about your industry and when when is this message really going to turn the tide on, I would say, revenue? Because at the end of the day, companies will need will invest in things that make them money. Like that's what we're all in the business for. They don't do things out of the goodness of their heart. For a lot of companies, trust helps you drive revenue. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more, Dana. You know, for us uh, and for also for a company like yours that processes or stores data, uh, we do very much uh, benefit from a trust office and from that approach of uh, being transparent about our technology and building that trust with customers. Uh, so let's talk about the workforce now. You and I both have very capable teams that are focusing on fostering trust with our customers. When recruiting trust professionals, what experience and skills are you looking for in candidates? I think there's um, two dimensions to that that I always say about any anyone that's doing first i want experts at something like you need to be good at something so that could be security that could be privacy that could be policy that could be compliance that could be pick your thing but you do need to have a background of having been good at something and there's a couple of reasons for that one is it's just good to know the if for us trust is built from these pillars you should have a perspective from one of these pillars in my, in my opinion um the second reason is I, I, I trust people who are able to be good at something, if that makes sense. Like, so if you've been able to be accomplished in your specific profession, 
then you are probably able to be good at any kind of profession because you've learned the skills it takes to be really good at something and competent. Because I think trust is a horizontal skill set and there's not really a training ground for it. And so I, you need people, so this is the second, but you need people who are flexible and intellectually curious and can stretch horizontally across things that they weren't experts in, but can learn. So if you're a security person, what do you know about compliance? What do you know about the way we we do contracting? What do you know? So you need to flex over. You need, so you can't just pick a security person and just throw them into a trust role and hope for the best, right? You actually have to have somebody who's already been intellectually curious has shown some uh, some inkling or, or or initiative about learning things across the aisle, and then the, then you can say, all right, well then I think you can probably um, have a more broader horizontal role. But I really want to see first that you actually were really good at the role you were in. Fantastic, thank you, Dana. And of course, you know, we really like your perspective that um, you have to be intellectually curious. It's important to learn from across the aisle because that's the path towards trust. And uh, we had the different responses to that question, although we do ourselves very much prioritize security, privacy, and compliance. And that's, of course, a reflection on the variety of needs that each business has and the variety of skills that our domain needs. So my last question is, as a trend-setting chief trust officer, what's your best advice for companies that are considering establishing a trust office? Yeah, this similar to what I said, I think it really, it's important to think about what problem you're trying to solve, right? How are you helping the company move forward? And so there's a lot of dimensions, for example, that Adobe needs trust on. We've talked about a few of them, but even for us, like three years ago, we had starting as, as you guys are deploying AI everywhere. And so that question of like, what about AI ethics? What, what about, are we being responsible about building AI in the right way? And so we thought about that as another pillar. So there are some companies out there who may be listening to this podcast. Like they may say, "I have an AI ethics problem, but I don't have a, I don't have a um, privacy problem, or, or everyone's got a privacy problem. I don't have a security problem, or I don't have a, a compliance problem, or maybe I have a misinformation or analogous to misinformation, but I don't have." So you can really think about, you know, as a, as you think about building out this um, office, right? If you're trying to say, "Should I or shouldn't I?" Really thinking about all the different kinds of challenges your company is facing right now. And, and then if there's like two or more of them, you probably should just establish a trust office. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much once again, Dana, for joining us on the Trust Corner today. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dana, for having me. I look forward to talking uh, again in the future. Absolutely.